I don't know how to answer that. What do you, I mean, we, we won the game. That's what you do in soccer games. And we're on the road in a venue that I think this team does pretty well at home. What are we complaining about? And then some moron will write that, you know, they had more shots than us, thinking that that's important. Yeah. Actually, a analytics in soccer, if no one here has figured it out, it doesn't mean a whole lot. You know, analytics are used, statistics are used for people that don't know how to analyze the game. Uh, be, and I'll be very honest with you, this isn't baseball or football or basketball. Unfortunately, it's, uh, you know, the, 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 we have a very important analytic, it's a score. And that, that distorts all the other statistics. American Soccer Analysis. I am your host, Drew Olson, and on the other line, he's some moron that will write that they had more shots than us thinking that's important. It's Sean Steffen. What's up, brother? Hey. Hey. He was talking about Matt Doyle. I want to make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rena was talking about Matt Doyle. Matt Doyle was a moron, not me. Um, I think I think we can group everybody Both that of us? cares that's about shots into that moron category. <laughs> Sean, we're still alive. This is still we are a still alive. Yeah, this is. Yeah, we've where been you getting... been? Um, I've been. I didn't go anywhere. I think Harrison uh, ran, and uh, we're just looking for uh, you know people to fill in. But we're going to keep doing this because people have been uh, requesting. We've gotten some uh, you know some buzz. Apparently, apparently people listen to this. Got to give the people what they want. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, for folks that don't know, Harrison has stepped away a little bit. So. I think Sean's going to be the all-time, um, all-time offense for the podcast going forward, and uh, hopefully we'll have someone else to help out. I probably won't be able to do a ton of stuff till the election, but here we are. Um, and let's let's just get right into what everybody cares about. Um, now, as a millennial, what is an election? <laughs> um, an election is a place where you go and vote. And um, then complain about Jill Stein not being elected, or the fact. But didn't that... we already do that with Obama? You telling me you have to do this again? Yeah, man. It's. Uh, I know it's weird. I thought we were. See, that's too much. Government. Too. Yeah, government's broken. I don't like it. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. I was a Bernie bro, so I'm not going to vote anyway. No, just kidding. Um, okay. Uh, so, uh, but let's let's get into what the people really care about, which is the fact that you are using up all your um, LTE uh, data on Pokemon. Please explain. Um, yeah, I've gotten really into Pokemon because it's the it's an amazing game. Um, I've, I've never experienced anything like it. I've met like four or five friends through this game because, like, in it, for people that don't know, it's it's like a uh, real-time, like, geocaching game. Like, you go out, they're just, um, it uses Google Maps, and you walk around and Pokemon appear on your screen, like, out in the wild, and then you throw balls at them until you catch them, and then you can battle them, and it's, uh, it's really cool because you, it, it encourages exercise, and, it, and you go out and meet people, and there are spots that you go to because they have a high, 
uh, chance of getting rare Pokemon, and then everyone. I'm really happy for you. I'm gonna let you finish, but let me. Here's two caveats. One, I've never cared about Pokemon, and I still don't. Two, it was a bit of a big deal here in DC when there was a apparent Poke Gym. Is that what they're called? Pokeball Gym. At the Uh, White House, right? No, at the Holocaust Museum. Yes, yes, I I read this article. Um, it wasn't a gym; it was a stop. Um, there is a great Washington Post article where they interviewed the people that are, were dropping lures on it, and they were just all like unsympathetic and like, "It's not like we're only here to catch Pokemon." <laughs> and, yeah, um, I would not catch Pokemon at a Holocaust museum. Um, I think that is uncool, guys. Don't do that. Um, but I think Niantic will remove it because you can request to get your Pokestop removed, and I think. They, if they haven't already, they will because uh, they don't want that kind of press. But I don't know. Like, I was at San Monica Period last night, and there were probably 3,000 people. And, you know, like a Dragonite spawns, and then someone else Dragonite, and then there's a giant herd of people running, and then like an Aerodactyl spawns, and then that same herd moved somewhere else. And I ended up running two miles for a Charizard. Like, it's, it's just a weird, kooky experience. And it's, wait, at the same time, it's... Wait, are you being sarcastic? Or that, those are things that actually happen? Those are things that actually happened last night, yeah. Just a weird, like, there's no, like, I know people that who don't know anything about Pokemon are kind of on the fence. You should just oh, do it for the, the social I'm, experience. I'm fully off the fence. I think, well, I'm, I guess I'm, you know, I support people getting outside, so if you're going to play video games, you might as well do it outside. But, um... I've walked a hundred, and uh, in this game has encouraged me, because you have to walk for eggs, um, I've walked a hundred and three kilometers which I'm not sure what that is in real measurement, but... Um, what, 0.54 kilometers is a mile, right? I've, I don't know, man. That's, it's all Canadian measurements to me. Yeah, okay. Well, I think we've devoted more time to Pokemon than I would ever have liked to. Um, let's, uh, you want to talk about Major League Soccer? The MLS, as Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard called it? We're not going to talk about the Rogue One trailer? We can talk about the Rogue One trailer. What are what are your early hot take analytics on this? So the the buzz around Rogue One is that uh, they had to go in for reshoots because the movie was too dark. Because Disney has it now, and they want everything to be super fun and happy. Um, I I like really would have loved the dark version of this movie, but um, the trailer looks sick. I'm not a fan of going back into movies at all. I think Suicide Squad proves don't mess with movies. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, it, the trailer looks great, but trailers can look great. Um, I am. I said this off the the cast, but I'm really hoping it's like an Ocean's Eleven in space with like that dan 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 music and like everything. I think that would be hilarious. Um, I think there needs to be one in this trilogy that's just uh, George Clooney quirky. shows up as the drunk. Like yes, yes, yeah. it needs to be like quirky and out of place. There needs to be one movie in every like. Um, how many movies is this gonna be? Is there a, a type? Is there a a, uh, this is a Star Wars story, which is what they're calling the like spin-offs, the like Obi-Wan spin But it's still in the it's still in the panda. How many when it's all said and done, how many Star Wars movies are there gonna be? They're gonna be making them until until they Disney stop making money. The Four billion they paid or whatever it was. Yeah. I mean and there's no incentive for them to stop, right? Like we're gonna go see that movie. Oh I'll yeah, be, I, I'll be there I, at midnight. Yeah, it's the same reason why you have to go to a Star Tours so many times, because yeah, you know, so you, so, can keep, uh, so you can keep going back to Disney World and Disney World because I have to see every iteration. But once I saw my uh, 
the Jar Jar Binks one. I yes. Was yeah, that was my favorite of the. It iteration. was actually kind of good. Yeah. Yeah, because you get to go underwater and meet all the Gungans. I'm a big Jar Jar Binks apologist. Yeah, you're an episode one apologist. We've threatened to have a whole podcast on that, but um, we don't have time for that today. Episode one was crap. Jar Jar gets a lot of the blame, but the real problem is Jake Lloyd, who was a terrible, terrible actor, and wrong. Um, wrong. his wrong. career peaked with Jingle all the way with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, but okay, let's let's talk about soccer, because that used to be what this podcast was about back when it was a real podcast. Um, so let's start out East. We had our, we're recording this on Sunday morning. Uh, so yesterday we saw your beloved galaxy, uh, fall to NYS, NYCFC. The team, and kill a pigeon and kill a pigeon. And Von Damme killed a pigeon. pigeon. Ashley Cole. Actually, it was, it was Von Damme. I'm pretty, I'm almost positive. It was oh, Von was Damme. It? Ashley Cole hit it over and then Von Damme. Said, the, the, I think it's Von Damme. It's coming from that direction. The video zooms in. It's really poor work you know uh i think people need to work on their their skills for for when they're shooting hot take videos but uh i think it's fond down which would not surprise me but he was passing the ball to he was passing it to ashley cole i think and hit a pigeon that was on the field and um so this would be his his continuing bat of racism proceeds against um you know yeah, um, I've been told that he's issued a private apology, but yeah. publicly admitting no wrongdoing. So it's it's all good, guys. <laughs> Just lay off the issue. It's done. Water under the bridge. Next next topic. Unfortunately, the video ended before Nigel Young slide tackled and <laughs> broke yeah. Pigeon's leg, too. Yeah. What's funny about Young is analytically, he's actually one of the... If you wanted to define clean as, like, fewest tackles or, or fouls per game, he's actually, like, in that category for fewest fouls per game. It's just when he does foul, he tends to break things. Yeah. <laughs> well, he only has one red card in his entire career, right? Which was when he got a couple weeks ago, I think. Is, was that a true stat? I, it was, I'm almost positive. I could have sworn that that was BS, but that's true? I'm pretty sure that's true. I mean, he's gotten he's gotten a few retroactive red cards, but never in the game. Uh, that's amazing. I know. Wow. Yeah. What a charmed life. <laughs> I, know. I mean, you think about the World Cup final where he karate kicked that dude still on the yellow card. Stu Holden, yellow card. When he ki- killed Nagby, it was a yellow card. Yeah. The boy who lived, as Rob Uzri likes to uh, call him immediately after. I still maintain that um, Nagby's iron ankle broke De Jong's knee. Uh, That's right, because De Jong ended up being out way longer yeah. than Nagby with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nagby's fine. Nagby's arguably better. I don't know. What. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so let's uh, let's let's actually talk about NYCFC. This is a team that has the most points in the Eastern Conference, although they they don't lead on points per game. Um, they have continued to defy expectations, and their new coach. Um, What's his name? I was going to say Patrice Evero, but that's the wrong Frenchman. It's Pepe Le Pew? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> Did neither of us remember the name of the NYCFC? It's coach? Patrick Vieira. I Thank just you. wanted to do a French. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Vieira, who's been messing around with the tactics a lot, apparently found a way to make them into a decent team, which has basically been because Mix, has Mix Discarude played this season? I don't know. I don't know if he's played this season. Um, I think they're a, 
the biggest thing that they've done, which is to me amazing, is they found a way to fit Lampard and Parallel on the field at the mm-hmm. same time. And they've been good. Jack, and Jack Harrison um, has been a great addition. And if you can get supplements to having a David Villa, then you're good. Um, you know, we've already proven that um, with Juvenka last year. All you do need is a player like that to make the playoffs, and he can carry the team there. So it's no surprise that if you just add a couple more pieces, you can then be very good. Um, I don't know if they're very good, but they're t- definitely close. I think it takes three years to build a team. They're on year two. So, uh, you know, as long as uh, their old guys don't um, die, they should be. Um, I think they're set up fairly well. I don't know. But uh, David Villa is having an absolute amazing season. And uh, he's. For the second year in a row. People didn't realize it last year because they were so yeah, bad. Yeah, people did. was amazing last year, too. He, and he underperformed his expected goals last year. That that was the thing. So he was like a sleeping giant. And, you know, in our fantasy league, that's why I, I sound the alarm bells when when uh, uh, people were bidding on him. Just like, don't let anyone get him below 40 or uh, we're going to uh, we're gonna feel very sorry for it. And uh, Harrison was very angry at me for that because his plan was to sneak in and get David Villa for under 40. Yeah. Here's a fun fact, my favorite fun pack, fact of the season so far. Andrea Pirlo. Um, uh, the unassist percentage on his shots, so he's taken like 20 shots this season, the the percentage of those unassisted is 84.2%. Uh, among players with at least 15 shots, second highest percentage is Darwin Sarin at 60%. And then, let's see, I gotta keep scrolling down. Then the next closest is Carlos Gruezo and Taylor Kemp, who are at 46 and 47 percent yeah and the, the, the farther back you get with the player the, the more unassisted shots you're going to take yeah. but that's i mean uh, i assume it's basically because pirlo only shoots when he has free kicks um that yeah that's probably a very good uh, explanation i didn't think about that outside your window uh no some guys like car oh, okay <laughs> yeah sorry um the uh my favorite pirlo stat i don't have the exact number because i know we were doing favorite pirlo stats Thanks for not putting it on the agenda. Um, is last time I checked, his long ball accuracy was like um, 85% or something like that, like somewhere in the 80s. And um, he has attempted by far the most long balls in the league. Um, Bradley comes close, but Bradley's only – his percentage is, is only like 60% or something like that, 65%, which is decent. But it's not like – you really see the stratification and genius of Pierre when you look at – when you see how far – Away, other people are in their long ball accuracy. It's, it's, it's just absurd. He's a, he's kind of a genius. Yeah. Do you know Michael Bradley's only taken five shots this season? Well, that was before the game yesterday, but, which he he scored right, I think. Anyway. I don't know. I was playing Pokemon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Okay. Cool. So uh, NYCFC, are they any good? I don't know. It's been very tough to tell who's good and who's not good in the East because the East has just not been good in general. Um, but I think they could be. They're definitely um, – they found a way to play at home on that postage stamp of the field. Um, Let me tell you why they're not. So points are one thing. A better measure of how good a team is is goal differential. New York City FC's goal differential is one. An even better measure of how good a team is is expected goal differential. New York City FC's expected goal differential is zero. So, 
here's what I'm saying is that they've gotten a little bit lucky. Um, I, I, I think you might be onto something with the postage size stamp field. Um, I remember the Timbers had a big advantage. I think the first two or three years of their existence when the field, uh, was much smaller, the dimensions were much smaller. I think they also had turf. So that helps as well. But I just, I think maybe they're making the most of where their field, their field situation is, but the underlying numbers suggest that they are just not, um, not as good as, as the numbers suggest. I mean, in the game yesterday is a perfect example in a way, right? Like they scored one goal and I think they also have good counterattacking players and I think they might be breaking the model. Do they? So, and they've got, they have Jack Harrison. Jack Harris, oh, David Villa on the counter, like, I, he, he, it can be uh, Villa V3, and that's still an advantage in YCFC. Um, you think, though? It's not like he's fast. I think he's just really good. I don't necessarily think his style plays better for counter they get him. They get him behind, I mean, they strike quickly, it seems like to me. I mean, you might be right in that, like, Pirlo can put some balls on a platter, mm-hmm. like long balls on a platter for him, but I, but it. I don't necessarily think that's... Okay, well, they've got the ingredients for something that last time we saw a team that was good do this. Um, the Galaxy in 2011 won the Cup, and some people consider them the best MLS team of all time. I do not. Um, they had a negative expected goal differential. Um, now, that is uh, extremely rare. That team was also not necessarily bad, as the model would tell you. They had two things going for them. They had a David Beckham, so um, a third of their goals came from set pieces. Um, so they have a Pirlo. Uh, so NYSDFC have a Pirlo. So I think that might have something to do with it. And I think being able to score, uh, I think they might be getting lots of big chances, which is something the model at present, or our model at least, is not measuring. Uh, I think we're looking to include that soon, mm-hmm. isn't that? It, it's in talks, it's in plans, but as of now, we've been do discussions. Not... Yeah, and um, other models have have incorporated, it and it seems to help, uh, which is interesting from a from a number standpoint because big chances is compared to other stats, it's very it's much more subjective. You know what I mean? Like it, it requires an like an opta person to sit there and say that's a you know a big chance. Uh, where uh, well, I guess it's all sub- subjective in one sense, but it's not as empirical. And yet, when you introduce it into the model, it makes it better. So, I mean, there's a greater discussion there for maybe for another podcast of, you know, analytics moving away from the empirical, um, how a good watcher model can improve expected goals models, which we've seen. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, NYCFC. Um, we'll give them a wait and see grade. You'll give them the wait and see. I, I think they're about as overrated as it comes. But um, wow, wow! I mean, bring wow. in the hot takes. Here's the, um, you, and I got a team for you that's underrated. Although they they'd been near the top of the East for a while too. Philadelphia Union. No, nope, they're not underrated. They're of, overrated. You think Sorry. they're overrated? I, I very much do. Yes. Okay. Well, I'll lay out my case, and then you give it yours. So they got Ale Bedoya. Bedoya. Who's who's coming? Over- I don't know King how well he's going to fit into that system, but we shall see. He um, runs hard and doesn't uh, play through balls, so he'll do great. That's true. Oh, that's right. Yeah, this is your through, to, through ball rant that's coming. So here, here's why I think they're good. They're expected, their expected goals for are 43, which is 
tops in MLS. Next closest is the aforementioned NYCFC at uh, 37.5. The expected goals against for Philadelphia, about 31. Now, they've actually given up 37 goals. So that's obviously about a six-goal six differential. Now, there's a few things I could attribute to that. Um, I think Andre Blake has had a lot of hype, but is probably not doing as well as a lot of people have been, think he has been. Um, I think that defense is a little shaky. There are a few things that could explain that. But six goals is a lot, is a lot for, um, I mean, there's some variants that'll come in and it's, even now the sample size maybe not big enough to, to fully say, but an expected goal is minus expected goals differential for them. Um, uh, of, uh, Six something is ginormous, and so I think that they are better than um, than what whatever they are in fourth place in the Eastern Conference. Okay, so now talk about three balls. <laughs> so here's there's uh, in soccer um, an interesting way of measuring style of a team is looking at cross to three ball ratio. Um, teams that play more crosses than well, all teams play more crosses than three balls. But teams that have a higher ratio of crosses to three balls tend to do poor. Um, this has been shown. Uh, Michael Cayley's done a good, a few good articles. Alex Olshansky's done a few articles. I actually went back and did cross the three ball ratios of every support shield winner and MLS Cup winner um, a while ago, uh, since 2011. And uh, basically, there's only been one um, uh, or two teams that have ever uh, succeeded with a high cross three ball ratio. And that was born in Kansas City in 2000 um, and let's see 11, I believe, or 12. And uh, no, it was 11. That was the year where they had the. But it wasn't so much that they succeeded offensively; it was that their defense just didn't give up goals. They had like a .5 goals against average. It's like the most insane thing we've ever seen defensively. Um, the the only exception we've ever seen is San Jose 2012, and you know that kind of was because they had a a guy scoring 27 goals. Uh, well, basically, between their three forwards, they scored 50 goals. And w- to what extent, you know, that goal-scoring blips like that are anomalies, we don't really know. Uh, I think, to some extent, they have to be, uh, especially to the amount of expected goals that Wanda Lasky outperformed that year. In general, you do not perform offensively well when you're sending in a high amount of crosses. Now, a good cross-through-ball ratio generally is 3-1 to one or 4-1. to one. Um, Philadelphia, if we look at Philadelphia unions, it's, um, well, if you type into your calculator, it explodes because you can't divide by zero. They have zero key passes this year from a three ball, which is mind blowing. They have not taken a single shot off of knocking the ball behind the defense. That is, it's crazy. And, you know, it's, I mean, and if they get one, their through ball ratios, it's going to be something like 17-18, which is going to be, you know, uh, that's where Chivas USA usually lands. That's where the fire usually lands. It would not put them in good company. So it would be very, 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 uh, it would make them huge outliers if they're able to somehow find a way to be a good team by doing this. I think defensively, they haven't figured out the they're good pressing 4-3-3 and people in MLS still don't know how to deal with the press, but... To me, I'm not buying it. And they've got like four, five, six players that are underperforming their expected goals. And I think that's why. Because the passes they're getting for the shots are just not 
you know, a high leverage. They're not passes that induce get into space. So every shot they're taking is going to be slightly behind the model. You know, so that adds up and adds up and adds up. So well, this I, is kind of the opposite of what you're just saying, but like. You're right that most players, most of their guys, are underperforming their expected goals. But Chris Pontius has ten goals and six and a half expected goals, and Alberg, Roly Poly Alberg, has eight goals on about six expected goals. Everybody yes. else is pretty much underperforming, but those yeah, two everyone guys else are absolutely everyone good. else is underperforming. That's the thing, though. yeah. And but that also accounts for more than half of the goals they scored this season. Right, and that's two players. So, like, let's say that starts to regress a little, and I think it might. Then um, they're going to start being in trouble. Now, when they went out and got Patoya, that was a typical union signing. Dude likes to run a lot. He'll give them that. To me, bad signing. They need someone in there that'll play the ball behind, and they need someone who will run behind for it. It's not going to be Sapong, but she doesn't need to be the forward. Um, and if someone wants to argue, well, this is a Dutch style. It's not a Dutch style. You don't see teams in the air divisa not playing three balls like this is just a team that's playing with very very dangerous style of soccer and somehow succeeding uh, i say somehow it's because they play in the east uh, hashtag hot take i don't think they're all that great i think they're strong defensively and it's kind of carrying them okay um any uh let's uh okay let's briefly talk about toronto as well this is the team that everybody picked at the beginning of the season to win the East. I think they're still the strongest team in the East. They lead the East in points per game, which is what really matters. I'm going to I'm gonna go on a little rant here. Everybody looks at the standings on MLSsoccer.com and sees the red mm-hmm. line and says, Oh, God, my team's below the red line. What are we mm-hmm. going to do? And, and they, that's all they care about. But there's this little thing called games played, which I just for some reason people don't look at, and I guess it's just because it's sorted by points rather than points per game, but... Which is dumb. They should change that. Yeah, which is totally dumb. Um, Like, let me give you an example. This is in the West, but the Seattle Sounders, everyone's like, oh, they're so terrible. And, you know, they're... Well, they they were, but yes. Yeah. But keep going. (laughs) Yeah. And, And, you know, they're in... Uh, what's eighth place in points per game, which is not great. Uh, 1.17, which sucks, which would put them, well, it would be a playoff spot in the East, but still, uh, near the bottom, just below the Timbers and San Jose. But with, with the trending upwards, we'll talk about yeah, that. They have 23 games played. Compare that to, you know, NYCFC who have 26. That's, that's three games, Sean. That's a difference mm-hmm. of three games. 23. Minus 26 is negative 23, or negative 3. You know what I mean. Um, I don't know what to say beyond that, the fact that, like, are people just, like, too lazy to care how many games teams have played? Like, it just yeah. blows my mind that people are like, oh, my God, you know, Team X is so good or Team Y is so bad, and yet... They're not are, lazy. They're, they're, condi- they're conditioned. I guess. And that's, drives it, me it's kind of a... It's kind of like um, that people care about RBIs in baseball. And, and, you know, it's like there are – yeah, even though how conditional that stat is or wins for a pitcher in baseball, things like that, there are some stats that we've just looked at for so long that we're just not – there needs to – and I think – and in baseball we're seeing more and more networks show like this is the on-base percentage and stuff that's just slightly more advanced and stuff like that. So 
I think in soccer, as long as there's you know a continued analytics community out there pushing stats that are interesting to people, there will be a slow awakening and at least some of the like I can see a day when expected goals is is shown. Um, but so to me, I'm not super worried about that. I think points per game is another one that people can wrap their heads around because it's just basic division. Mm-hmm. I, I actually think that there's a there's a more interesting way, um, especially in MLS, and I'm actually thinking of um, uh, looking into this. One of the things that people will always say as the counter argument is, well, you got to win your games in hand. And I used to scoff at this as this is dumb. But when you actually look at it, teams with games in hands generally means they have a more compact schedule going towards the end. Um, and there definitely is a fatigue factor to having to play those Wednesday games mm-hmm. in between a Saturday game and a, and a Friday. Especially um, if you look at Sporting Kansas City this year, they've had, um, I believe, four double game weeks. Which is you know absurd, wow. and Vermees and Vermees has rotated on like uh, to the point where he's sort of like given up on four games. So I think there might be a way to do an index of um, adjusting points for those games. So looking at future schedule and past schedule, so you can regress uh, or so you can project what a team would have done uh, had they not had uh, or had those Wednesday games been spaced out, just by looking at what the points per games are. Um, drop off is, and then um, you can also uh, so you can just up and down for future uh, midweek games and past midweek midweek games. That might be a fun thing to look at. Um, but yeah, definitely points per game needs to be needs to be more of a thing in people's collective consciousness because it's kind of crazy that because um, I remember the big story last year um, in Galaxy Land, which was such a dumb story was they were just like, Galaxy went from first place to third, or to, in the support, like, sometime in summer before they fell off again, um, you know, to, like, second place. What a rise. It was like, no, they had, like, five games in hand when they were in last place. Yeah. Like, they were never really in last place. This is a bad narrative, guys. But no one cares because, it you know, uh, people like narratives. So, uh, I don't know. It's the same reason no one wanted to believe that uh, uh, Lance Armstrong did, uh, did steroids. It's like, of course he did. He's coming off of chemotherapy. Like, you don't come out of chemotherapy stronger. Like that's just a, that's just a thing. Well, and I'm one of those weird people that thinks people should just be allowed to do steroids because, like, oh, I agree a hundred percent. I agree like a thousand percent. I grew up watching Sammy Sosa hit. But I was at the home run derby and hit like a 530 foot home run. And then when I watched the home run derby this year, and, and they're just like 480 foot. That is the peak of human strength. Just like, yeah, maybe human strength, but <laughs> mutant strength. Um, which I grew up on, um, yeah. Chick said the long ball. Um, actually, you know what? While we're on, while we're on our airing of grievances, I have another one, which is people when people are like, "Oh my god, it was a huge upset when um, what like I'm just gonna make this up." Colorado went to Houston. You know, league leading Colorado Rapids went to Houston and lost. Uh, yes, I hate that. So it, let me just blow some people's mind that are listening right now. The home team, regardless of that home team, wins more more than fifty percent of MLS games, and then it's about twenty five twenty five for a draw and a road win. Um, I have a tag along stat for this now. Yes. Tag along grievance. Just they like, always say oh, like if you can win your home games and tie your road games, you're going to be the best team in the league, and you are. But people just kind of. And it's more pronounced in soccer than pretty much any other sport. Like talking about baseball, we were just talking about. There's hardly any difference between home and away. But soccer, it's a huge difference. Uh, we it's unclear why. Probably 
has more to do with the ref than anything else. And definitely in MLS, when, when you compare MLS home away versus uh, oh yeah versus which leans in the direction that it has a lot to do with travel because you have to fly a lot farther now. Yeah, but we've also done uh, we've done analysis or articles where it shows that teams after crossing time zones uh, and then playing doesn't doesn't have any significant um, effect on their interesting on their play. So I mean that, I that's, why, that. that's yeah. why I think it's more has to do with the ref that the refs are influenced by the home crowds, um, and that's that's kind of been that's across sports like basketball and other other things basically more fouls and more um you know everything is called against the road team than the home team just as a general rule of thumb uh, mm-hmm. and and that is not related to how the teams play it's it's just the refs are calling more i have uh, a tag on grievance i want to yeah go, go ahead um i really hate it when um they uh you know, TV always has, I think they just have a guy in the back who's supposed to give narrative stats. That's what I call them, narrative stats, where, yeah. you know. First dude in the fifth minute of yes, the fourth yes. road game of the season yes. to okay. pass through a guy's legs and dunk <laughs> yes. it. Exactly. So um, my least favorite thing is when they pop up. Uh, after the first goal in the game, you inevitably get uh, the, the – uh, this team is blank. Uh, yeah. It's like 7-0-1 when up a goal. So don't give that. And the first goal, it's like that's true for all teams in soccer across the globe. Scoring the first goal is kind of a, it's almost a death kill or death knell to your chances of like if you don't if your team scores the first goal against you, just universally in soccer, you're probably not going to win that game. I don't have the percentages on me at the moment because I didn't know I was going to go into this, but yeah, that bugs the heck out of me because they always present it as if it's unique to the team. Well, and it, it's and not. It's, it's it's one of those ones that makes it so much intuitive sense. It's like, oh wait, being ahead means you're yes. more likely to yeah. win. <laughs> yeah, but they always seem it's like, wow, Houston's a really good team when going up a goal and bad team when they're going down a goal. It's like, no, Houston's not. Everyone is. Yeah. You know? it's, it's called when you're behind, you're more yeah. likely to lose. When you're ahead, it's up there you're with, more uh, likely to win. It, it's up there with two. I was the most dangerous lead in soccer. It's like, no, it's actually the second most dangerous lead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, one, I was definitely the most dangerous lead. Um, okay, well, I forget what I, what I was going with this. Oh, yeah, Toronto. So they have a healthy Josie Altador who's been banging in some goals. They have Giovinco, who, um, let me pull this up real quick. Uh, He's good. Yeah, talk about them real quick while I pull up the stat. Uh, you should just pull up a, a word sheet that says Giovinco's good. Yeah, Juvenco continues to break the league. Um, you know, if this was like a, an online game, people would be complaining that the character needs to be nerfed. He's just... He, he, it's absurd, and I think the big thing they did this offseason was improve their defense. Um, and I think Bradley, um, as well, they actually did fairly well without him. I, or not Bradley, I mean outdoor. I still think that um, he has been very crucial for Juvenco's success because um, uh, we had an article up on this. I forget who wrote it, and I apologize uh, to whoever did about Juvenco's shots. Yeah, it was um, it was low down sports. Yes. Excellent article looking at um, how Chubinko's taking too, like he's just taking too many shots, and um, he takes six point six nine shots per game. Second right. in MLS is um, oh, let me pull that up. And I was skeptical of this analysis first because uh, David Villa is five point four one. Right, so, so he, Chubinko about- takes a shot one point two shots more per game than second place David Villa. 
Right. So the thing about this is uh, Michael Cayley did a great article. Like the the people that outperformed expected goals model or the forwards at like 15%, I don't want to make it, at a very high rate. Like the vast majority of over expected goal overperformance among strikers comes from players who take over 3.5 shots a game. And uh, or and the guys that take like six, and, and it goes up the more shots you take. So in the Premier League, at least, taking a lot of shots is generally a good sign. Uh, but when you look at the actual shot leverage on Jovinko's shots in particular, he's he's not really taking good shots. Um, he, he seems to just be pulling the trigger too much. I think having Altidore kind of gives him a, an option not to do that, to kind of hone his his wanting to shoot, which shouldn't be you know, taken away from him because that's what makes him good or partially what makes him good and giving and kind of honing it down. So he's not doing it too much. And I think outdoor uh, gives him space. It's, it's a good tandem. And I think outdoor has not been given enough credit for it. Yeah. Giovinco is averaging 0.9 expected goals plus expected assists per game, which is pretty crazy. Kakao's yeah, absurd. Uh, that's second best in the league. Do you know who's first? Uh, Kaka, because you just said Kaka. Nope, he's third. Um, Kaka is point eight eight. David Villa is fourth. Is it point eight one tied with Robbie is it, Keane? Is it Villa? Villa is no. Villa is fourth. Him and Robbie is Keane it are point eight one. Is it Valeri? Valeri is fifth or six point seven six. Question. Uh, I'll give you a clue. He plays for Columbus. He is not named Iguain. It's going to blow your mind. It's Ola Kamar. Yep. 1.04 expected goals plus the six assists per game. How crazy is that? MVP is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Ola Kamara, a guy who I don't think I would recognize still. I don't think I would either, but that's true for most Columbus Crew players ever. Yeah. They're, and they're bad this year, which is unusual. And here's another crazy stat. So, like, Givinko has about 8% of his team's touches. Kaká, 9%. Via, 7%. Kamara, 3.4% of his team's touches. Yeah, I, I did an article about this with uh, uh, revolving around Giovanni Dos Santos. You can actually stratify the types of forwards and the types of players people are by the amount of touches. Yeah. It's actually really interesting. And like, um, the there are a lot of low-use, uh, like super low-use touch forwards. And uh, they were, R- Rivera's gone, there's... Uh, there's Ola Kamara, and then there's uh, Giovanni Dos Santos, and uh, generally tends to be a problem, but I guess it hasn't been for Kamara. Well, his team is bad, and his, his unassisted shots is like 17%, which is among the lowest for starting strikers. I really want to get Will Trapp out of there. He needs a, a home where he's not surrounded by losing and bad energy. We need to really like have like a presidential initiative to like get him traded somewhere. Um, so to take this back to Toronto, uh, Michael Bradley leads MLS. I was just talking about touch percentage for his team. Michael Bradley is at 14.5%, uh, which is by far the league lead by about two percentage points. Doesn't uh, surprise me, though. Yeah. They have, a, they have a kind of a weak midfield when Johnson's not in there. Yeah. I don't know. It just tells you how much he does in that midfield, though. And it, he's mm-hmm. been much less of a creator this season than even he was before. Um, obviously, you know, he doesn't have to be. It's, yeah, but uh, it's just he's amazing. He's playing deeper. He's playing yeah, deeper, he's way too. deeper, way deeper. Which makes perfect sense for their system and why I think 
that they really are like one of the best teams um, in MLS. But it's it's interesting. That said, he you know he's still averaging over a key pass a game, so, so picking his picking his spots. Uh, now we have a Josie Altidore back, who's been who's what yeah like four goals in five games or something nuts. So Toronto, I think, is poised to. I think they're going to win the East. Uh, I'm, don't, I, I'm not giving up on New York Red Bulls. There's just too they yeah. they have too many pieces, and like I I think they're going to catch up. It's I think it's inevitable, but maybe not. Maybe they just hampered themselves too much by thinking it was a good idea to go four two 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 or whatever, and you know uh, mess with their formation all that a ton. And you know they also lost McCarty and all that. I don't know, but I think they're still the best team in the East. Yeah, to give some more perspective on that, so I was mentioning goal differential earlier. Toronto leads the East in goal differential at 11. New York Red Bulls is 10th. And then the third best team in the East is the Union at 3. The Impact and NYCFC have a plus 1 goal differential. And every other team in the East is a negative goal differential. Which is pretty wild. Whereas the majority of teams in the West have a positive goal differential. Um, Okay. Anything, any closing thoughts on the East before we move on to the Western Conference? Um, no, they're not a good, not a good conference. Um, we should, uh, relegate them all. So you heard it here first, American Soccer Analysis podcaster Sean Steffen, pro-rel, uh, for USA. Oh, for, uh, yeah, if you follow me on Twitter, I wrote that on, at the All-Star Game, they had this van that you could write things on, and I wrote pro-rel for America on it. Do you actually support pro-rel? I support relegation, not promotion. I think that we should keep relegating so only the Galaxy remain. You're an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I I don't support pro-rel. It doesn't make any sense financially. I I think Europe needs needs a salary cap more than we need pro-rel. Totally agree. Totally agree. I can't believe I've I've gotten us into pro-rel discussion suddenly, but I just freaking hate. Like, I want to congratulate Juventus for winning Serie A this season, which started today or yesterday. There's just no parity in the European leagues, which is so freaking boring. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway. And and when you do have parity and with Pro-Rel, you get a tire fire because then you have major teams go down. And yeah. even when you don't have parity, you still play with the danger of major teams going down. We've already seen uh, Argentina, uh, you know, when River Plate and... Um, I want to say Independiente, and maybe wrong. Uh, went down in the success of years. It's just like, oh, we need to expand this league to thirty-two. Or to like, they just expanded the league hugely, so no one could go down. Really, um, it. Uh, whenever someone like uh, Chivas or something goes down to Mexico, the team just buys the team that's coming up and like rebrands them to that team again. It's like there there are weird convoluted ways where around the world people have to navigate this very real danger of what if your biggest market goes down. And that shouldn't happen. Like that's you know you shouldn't have your money makers go down. It's that that's doomed for your league. Yeah. Could you imagine if like Portland, Seattle got relegated, L.A., New York Red Bulls like mm, it would, it, it would arguably could like destroy all of MLS. Like yeah, the, the only league that could withstand it in the, the U.S. like just because popularity across the board is what it is it would be NFL. I think. Yeah. But there's no minor leagues in the NFL. I exactly. Guess, you count college where we're exploiting. Just they sent him to Canadian football. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about the West a little bit. How about... So I, I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit here. 
in uh, my season preview for the Colorado Rapids, I said this team it has a solid defense. There was a good defense last year, even though they stunk. They just couldn't score goals. Um, their defense is even better this season, despite a lot of changes. And now they have your boy Shelzen Gashi, who hasn't actually performed as well as I kind of expected. But as a team, um, they're figuring it out. I think, what, only 20 goals against, which is... Who's second? Um, San Jose is allowed 27. Toronto is allowed 26. So, like, just by far the best defense statistically. And uh, I'm still undefeated at home. This team's killing it. Are they Are they as good as, as they seem? Um, they're an interesting one. I mean, uh, I went out to see them when they came to L.A., and they were very impressive uh, in terms of their shape. They definitely look like um, – they remind me of 2011 Galaxy in mm. terms of they're just very well drilled and disciplined, and you really take something special to break them down. Now, I have in the past hypothesized that the 2011 Galaxy couldn't – make it in this league because since 2011 we've gotten like much better playmakers like like the dp rule has made the league more um it's made it so you have guys who can break down those defenses but we're not really seeing that with colorado so i may have to eat my words on that but at the same time they've also kind of um gotten through on a lot of those games are winning one nothing and they're kind of getting very quirky goals to get it like on the road at least um at home, they're doing great things. They've been shuffling their back line a lot through injuries and stuff. They've been, um, uh, you know, Jones has been injured for a while. Gachi was gone for a while. Um, see, Papa's been in and out of injury. They, The team just keeps, uh, Doyle was down. Like, this team has gone through an insane amount of diversity, and somehow they keep getting it done. So I I think, I mean, I'm on the train for sure. They're, I think they just have a good system, and uh any given day, they're going to be very hard to beat, which is really, you know, all you ask for. Yeah. So they expected goals show them as best in the league. At, sorry, expected goals against um, with twenty five point four two. Now they've only allowed twenty, but I would say a caveat here is that they're probably still the best defensive team. Expected goals tend to group around the middle, right? So if a team's exceptionally better, it's it's probably going to undervalue them. Um, if they're really bad, it's probably going to over estimate how good they are so i don't necessarily think the fact that their five their expected goals against is five higher than their actual goals against i don't necessarily think that that's um that means that they are overperforming they might be um but i think it's just the fact that in this sense it it's a better way to rank them which is to say that they do have the best defense um they've got two good defensive midfielders they've got um they're really compact and then the fact that you can't break them down through the air because they've got six seven Huberg, you know there, um, who's just as tall as Omar Gonzalez is. So that's they're they're just a well built team. And yeah, I, I was with you when you did that preview. Like people have been you know laughing at them for years. Like Top Jar did the article: Are they the worst franchise in sports history? And which is like they've had one of the best defenses the last four years. Mm-hmm. They've just had bad. And this year they're spending money on offensive players. They might be good, and they. I, I don't think I was. I don't think any of us thought they were going to be this good, but right. I think it was naive for people to, you know, uh, write them off as the worst sports franchise in in sports history or whatever that top article was. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's maybe slightly precarious. Like Michael Zira has been among the tops in MLS and 
touch percentage all season, although it looks like he's dropped off a little bit. But they have three players, Jermaine Jones, who, you know, hasn't played a ton. Michael Azira and Cronin are all above 10% um, in terms of touch percentage. I think most teams have one player uh, that's above 10. So, you know, obviously, and they kind of all play in the same general area, right? Those are their three major midfielders. So, um, you know, it may be precarious if they lose two of those guys. Then, then where is that going to, where are those touches going to go? But it does feel like a really balanced team. I mean, they have Kevin Doyle, who occasionally plays. Gashi, you know, had a sick goal last week. It's, um, it's a relatively balanced squad that honestly feels, they're not going to surprise you with anything. They're pretty boring to watch, but they're very efficient. So, and that's, MLS awards efficient teams. So I think and they're also good for a good quote after the game. There was that one. Oh, like, did yeah. you see that Pablo quote about like, what are we doing here on this planet? The, the, the earth spinning, you know, like, you know, uh, we're going around the sun at like hundreds of miles per hour. And it's just like, what are we doing playing? So it's just like, are you high Pablo? <laughs> like it's, it, was, it's, it was such a good quote. Like, and then he talked about what seemed like he talked about um, expected goals in one or yeah. in one quote. Yeah, uh, just weird quote for Pablo. Okay, so here we go. Reporter, you talk about existential questions. Here's kind of a luck question. Ball hits the woodwork, comes right back to Gashi. They hit the word work twice, and Gashi had the headed clearance. Do you sometimes look at it and say, things balanced our way? Pablo Mastroianni. Yeah, and if you want to stay on that note, man, I asked the question, what are we going to do on this planet? It's spinning a million miles an hour. How are we not feeling it? It's a crazy phenomenon, and that's why the game of football is so beautiful. We can talk tactics and discipline, but really it's the intangibles, and it's the momentum, and it's the belief, and it's the chemistry, and it's all these little things. It's the fortune. And not only do you need fortune that it hits the woodwork, you have to have opportunities have to be opportunistic to capitalize it. Uh, tonight was a fantastic win of spirit and heart stones. Mm-hmm. You, you know he has a leadership committee where like the leaders of that team meet with him for like coffee and they talk about like leadership things. <laughs> I wonder what that's like. I know. I want to be applied to the wall for that. Like literally, yeah. Just like Papa and like Jones <laughs> drinking coffee. I'm talking about stones and work ethic. And... There's a there's a race to be first in line to order because that shows leadership, right? Yeah. Um, okay, let's um let's transition to the teams that we support. So we alluded in the opening to Bruce Arena's um, screed against analytics and shots uh, after the game in Portland where the Galaxy were heavily outshot and still won the game. You want to just lay the uh, groundwork for, for what he said and why he's wrong? Yeah, sure. So, um, see if I can pull up the full quote. Um, uh, he said, the analytics in soccer, if no one has figured it out, um, doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, analytics are used for those who don't know how to analyze the game. <laughs> Which is just like a hilarious statement. Yeah. Analytics are used for those that don't know how to analyze the game. Yeah, the, the most important. <laughs> yeah, let me find the. I think the topper was like the most important analytic. Uh, uh, I think I don't want to. We won the game. That's what you do in soccer games. We won on the road at yes, a venue where I think this team does pretty well at home. 
What are we complaining about? Then some moron will write that they had more shots than us thinking that's important. I'll be very honest with you. This isn't baseball or football or basketball. We have a very important analytic. It's the score, and that distorts all the other statistics. Yep, that's uh, God, such vintage Bruce quote. And my phone blew up after he did this because everyone assumed that the moron he was talking about was me. Um, <laughs> I did. but he, Yeah, everyone did. Uh, but he was talking about Matt Doyle because Matt Doyle has been harping on the shop thing for a while. The Galaxy have been um, – uh, let me just pull this up because I recently did. Worth that. noting uh, too that you you did a good write up um, a couple of weeks ago on exactly why this isn't totally insane. But I think if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already you just need to hear those quotes to know how idiotic those are. But you kind of break it down points by points and right, by right. and how. Yeah, I've done two articles on these quotes. So the first, yeah. um, just to give a little background on why, like, so Maxwell has been harping on this shot differential thing with the galaxy. And he tried to do so. And um, see, the Galaxy played 24 games this year. Um, they've only outshot their opponents five times, and only uh, three times uh, in a game where their opponent didn't get a red card. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it's it's absurd. They're, what's their TSR right now? I think we have it's like um, their total shots ratio. I believe you said it was uh, like in the low. Uh, point. Uh, it's four one two. That's yeah. That is very bad. That's uh, it, there's never been a team that's won MLS Cup within like since 2011. That's second worst in the league is the Chicago Fire at point four three. Right, and just to give um some background um of just like how anomalous well, it, is. It, let's just unpack that real quick. So total shot ratio is the total number of shots that the team has taken divided by. Um, the shots for and the shots against. So basically, it's the proportion of shots in games that that team has played that were by them. So basically, Galaxy are taking about, you know, four-tenths of the shots in games they play in. Yeah, so here's the um, how it would break. If you want to look at 2010 to present and uh, how many shots teams averaged against uh, allowed per game, uh, if you want to look at the, the, the most, um, the season we're in now, the Galaxy would be at uh, 17.05 shots allowed per game. Um, historically, if you want to look at where that would rank them, uh, San Jose Earthquakes at, were, uh, in 2014 are the only team that even comes close, and that's 16.05 a game. Um, then there's like Chivas USA in 2013, which was 15.35. It, it's really bad company to be in. Like, it's a terrible company to be in with Chivas USA and San Jose and, you know, these teams. And somehow they were able to get on this um, winning streak. I believe they had a, a game in Philly that they tied where they had two shots. And, uh, you know, they tied it 2-2. They've just been getting very lucky. So um, Bruce has kind of went off on Matt Doyle for this. And it's it's kind of crazy because when you look at um, their expected like how many? How much of this is you know like game state? How much of this is you know? Can you, we look at when we look at the expected goals model? How much can we sort of explain away? Um, so I did an article on that. Let me pull up the. Okay, so of the when I did this article, there were um, eighteen games in which they were outshot. Uh, you could um, explain they won the expected goals battle in eight of the eighteen. So. It starts to show you that you know mm. they're playing a counter game. So they're ta- they're they're taking fewer shots, but they're higher quality shots. In eight of the ten, that still leaves the majority of the games that they're outshot. And if you add the last two, uh, well, if you add um, 
the, the New York game, I would venture New York had higher expected goals. So um, that would then be eight and eleven. So uh, not you know great numbers. Uh, I mean, it, it explains some of it, but it, it the overwhelming or not the overwhelming the the majority of the time that they're um, getting outshot, they're losing expected goals battle. It is not sustainable. This is why even. This is why TSR works because even when it fails, it doesn't fail enough, um, you know, expe- uh, on the expected goals model that you know uh, it it completely like shuts down and, and it becomes just random noise because shots do and shots and expected goals you know have a link. It's not like a super strong link, but they have a link. So if the Galaxy continue to do this, they will regress, and I think we've seen that in the last uh, since I think. Uh, Maxwell had a great tweet. Like, uh, like the Galaxy are like uh, one. I don't know the record, but they like they're un they're winless in five uh, since Maxwell called uh, Maxwell called uh, was called a moron by Bruce Arena. <laughs> so uh, it's it, they're not a good team right now, in my opinion. And I was saying this when they were winning, um, like that Philly game when they got the tie there. Um, that was not a game that they should have gone to tie. Um, now the Portland game was actually one of the games that they did out. They did win the expected goals battle, uh, but just on the whole, they're not playing well. I think part of the problem is um, I, I did a piece a while ago on American Soccer Analysis looking at shot, um, like what contributes to allowing shots, and um, so that's kind of been serendipitous that I did that work, and now I'm covering a team that is giving a historic amount of shots. A lot of it has to do with where your line of confrontation is and uh, your defensive actions. And the Galaxy have traditionally done really well at this by having a 4-4-2 defensive blocking, and 4-4-2 teams generally do really well with this. They have gone to a 4-2-3-1, and they're putting De Jong and Lorenowitz um, behind um, Zardes, Giovanni Dos Santos, Keane, and... Uh, Gerard. Yeah, Gerard. And those guys don't defend. So you're left with like simple like numbers game here that six th- anytime you have a four two three one i went into this in, in that article anytime you have a four two three one we don't have at least one winger defending just mathematically you're only defending with six and teams that do that and do it like in a sustainable like uh they just give up more shots they give up more touches in the final third and when you give up more touches in the final third you're going to give up more shots and that's the problem right now uh and the Galaxy aren't even seeing that many shots from moving Gerard forward, which is the reason why they've gone to this. It's not a good system. Um, for Bruce's for all Bruce's tirade against analytics, um, which you know, I tried response to about how uh, expected goal, like just point by point going through why everything he said was wrong. But if he would just look at the analytics here, he would see that this is a disaster. There's a train waiting to happen for the second year in a row. A team that just asking for regression and. Um, yeah, I, I really think um, as much as it like it hurts me because it's my team. I really think this the closed mindedness of this organization if, on the analytics front. They really deserve everything they get in this because they're they're not making the adjustments that need to be made in a timely manner. And I don't know. I, I'm very I'm not hopeful with the Galaxy right now at all. Like they've got the talent, but they're not. They're just not putting it out there in a way that makes sense for the second year in a row. I think that sums Rant it up. over. Yeah, sums it out pretty well. Um, all right, now I have a fun thought experiment for us. Um, so there are three teams, Portland, San Jose, Seattle, that are all kind of huddled around that sixth and final playoff spot in the West. Uh, San Jose and Portland are at about 1.3 points per game. 
Seattle is about 1.2. Uh, Sporting is 1.4, kind of a, a cut above there. It's it's mostly going to come down to those three teams, Portland, San Jose, Seattle, for the last playoff spot. Everybody's, like I said earlier, they're looking at the total points, and Seattle's well behind, but that's just because they have three games in hand. And to couple that, um, Portland and Seattle are playing each other later today. We're recording on Sunday, and then again next week. So that'll that'll cause a lot of jump. Uh do you have any thoughts on which of these teams can maybe squeak into that last playoff spot? Um, are there any any other underlying numbers or styles or anything that uh, makes you think that one of those teams is better suited or better well, able to make the playoffs? I think this is a lot more interesting question. Like three weeks ago, before Lodera arrived, I think since mm, Lodera arrived in Seattle, I think when you look at like if you were to ask right now who's playing the best soccer among of those groups, I think hands yeah. down you would say. Well, Seattle clearly is. I, right. The big question for them is, can they? They were in such a hole. Can they dig out? Points for game wise, they've actually already gotten you know very very close. And if they win today, then they're well on their way. I think Seattle is going to do it. Odair has completely changed that um, team. He came in on his first game. Uh, he had a hundred and nine passes or something like wow. that, which is like, yeah, absolutely absurd in his first game with the Sounders. I've never seen someone adapt and like that's almost as many. That's like the when the Timbers beat Sporting a couple weeks ago at home. They had like 170 passes in the entire game. That's crazy. That Lodera. Yeah, it is. And there are not many people who have broken the 100 barrier this year for uh, passes that didn't do it in a game where they were up a man. Um, And Seattle was not in that game. Uh, He is an absolute number 10. He's he's sending in balls behind, um, which is all that. That team runs on three. Like, it's when they had it with Femi Martins, it ran on three balls. When they now that they've got Morris up there, it runs on three balls. They just didn't have anyone to play them. Now they do, and all of a sudden they're dangerous again because they have Dempsey there to be a trailing runner. They're just playing really good soccer. They've got a good defense. I think they're going to sneak in. I think they're going to cause a lot of trouble in the playoffs. Um, and I'm just hoping that uh, it's not going to come down to the Galaxy having to go to Seattle to to get a victory again, uh, a play-in game. So just to run through the expected goals real quick, San Jose's expected goal differential is about zero. Portland's is plus three, and Seattle's is 3.31. So they're all generally in that same same ballpark. Well, one of the things though, with um, Portland is we saw, um, I think Jared just did his P-score piece about game states. Yeah, and, uh, really they interesting. They have really high variance. Um, they have the highest variance in... Um, from game state to game state. And it seems to be that they're really bad at having the lead, Portland, where they play more like a, like they drop off a ton, but they're not getting the benefits of dropping off when they drop off. So when they go up a goal, they then drop off. So they're going forward less, but they're experiencing like they're not getting the defensive actions that you would generally see when you're dropping off. So it's kind of like the worst of both worlds because they're not sending the people forward anymore, but they're not stopping the ball. So I think they would just do better to just keep pushing and like not pay attention to the scoreline at all the entire game and just like keep playing for goals because uh, they seem to just be terrible with the lead. And I don't know if that's because, you know, continued backline problems. Um, uh, they seem to th- think it was a good idea to go out and get uh, a left back who can't defend um, with this Viatis guy. Um, but I don't know. I, yes. It's a... Uh, 
I don't he know just, that he's, he can't defend. I mean, he's he, he hasn't been great defensively. He's been better going forward than anyone else that's played that position this season. Uh, and everyone else that's played that position has mostly been pretty terrible defensively as well. So, like, I, it's, again, still still small sample size. I think he's only played three games. But True. I think he's outperformed anyone else just because they haven't been able, still haven't been able to fill that hole that Jorge Villafania left uh, when he went to Santos. Uh, the interesting thing with Portland, and you kind of just said it, but more than any other team in MLS this season, and again, you should check out Jared Young's piece on American Soccer Analysis uh, last week about this, is they're totally different teams depending on the score. So if Portland's ahead... They basically play incredibly counterattacking, low pressure, sit back and absorb, and mostly they absorb poorly and get scored on. I think there was a stretch earlier this season where they led in five consecutive games that they lost, uh, or didn't win anyway. But when they're behind, they turn into kind of a Barcelona-type high-possession, high-press team that is seems to perform pretty well. So if only they could just trail more often, then maybe they'd score more goals. Uh, but it but it really points to maybe, in a way, it may be a compliment, right? Because they've got this tactical um, flexibility that Porter seems to be using in most games. But then again, it's like, why not stick to something and work, right? So if you're good at something, maybe that's the style you should stay with. You know, switching yeah, oh, I, I think this is, tactics entirely based on the score doesn't necessarily seem like the best idea. Right, and to be clear, everyone drops off when they're ahead. I think the difference is Portland isn't, because there's a trade-off when you drop off. Portland do, isn't seeing the trade-off, because you, mm-hmm. like the advantage is you get like um, like the shots that come against you are poor, because like they're from bad angles, because you're putting more men behind the ball. They're get, just getting beaten on the ball when they drop back, and... Uh, I think this is a great example of a lot of people ask, what are the practical applications of analytics? Like, why should teams, you know, use analytics? I think when you look at this work that Jared did, firing manager, I would look at that and have like this, you know, sort of a, this aha moment and realize, you know what, we we shouldn't be dropping off when we score. Yeah. We're, look how much better of a team we are when we're just going for it all the time. And I would kind of drill that into the players. I don't know how much of that is player mentality and it can be drilled out, but I mean, I imagine, you know, that, like that's kind of the job of the coach. To you know, get that, those sort of things into the uh, the heads of the players. So I I think that Portland, if they should just like ignore the scoreline. Honestly, they should like play like they're behind all the time, or at least in a neutral game state. And I think this is a just a perfect example of what analytics can do for a team. Yeah, and you know, it's a, Portland has some sort of analytics people. I mean, don't they, don't they have the intern from Harvard or whatever? Yep. That he wrote for our site briefly, um, but he also goes to Harvard, so I don't know. Obviously, not full time, uh, but I do know that yeah, they they have a scouting network and more more investment in uh, scouting and analytics than I think most MLS teams. That doesn't necessarily mean they're using that much though, and um, we shall see. I mean, they supposedly keep track of their own expected goals on build, but who knows. Um, anything to say about San Jose? They're, this is like the most typical San Jose team ever, right? Yeah, I mean, it's more of the same. You know, they went out and everyone in San Jose loves the Godoy signing. Um, you know, which I'm, 
not a big fan of. Like, yeah, you got a typical, you got a good two way player at a DP price, but I don't think that's a position you need to. Uh, I think that's the most typical San Jose sign you can do is to get a two-way midfielder as a DP when your prime continues to be creativity. And they just continue this brute strength team that, you know, they ha- they don't – they're like what Seattle was to start the year. They can't – they're not playing a ton of through balls. They're not um, really playing creative soccer, and they're kind of relying on individual play and lucky bounces and stuff. And their defense has been – just injured this entire like they're playing Cordell Cato at right back right now. Um, they they've played uh, Alache. They've had to emergency play Alache at center back uh, this year. They've had um, just uh, I think Imperale has been down. Goodson's been down. Um, Bernardes has been down for a period. They just have like their depth has been wiped out. Uh, they had to go and get Sarkody to cover at right back. Uh, Francis was out for a very long time to begin. They're uh, uh, I think without Bingham this team would be. A, nowhere uh, I, I don't know I, I'm not a big fan of what they've done yeah I have nothing to add to that um, okay so that's the Western Conference any other notes before uh, we wrap this thing up no I think uh, I think we're good we're, uh, we're going to try to make this podcast happen a little more often than it has been which admittedly is pretty low low bar uh but we're going to try to get these out there. So subscribe so that you can make sure that they are uh, showing up in your podcast app because we definitely will not have a consistent schedule. So you're just going to have to to wait. Uh, And uh, I guess with that, Sean, say goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. And toodles, we will talk to you in el futuro. Maple leaves they can